Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Well, I never thought that it would happen to every single one of us at exactly the same time, but it did. Through the years, I've had friends, you've had friends who for a period of time, they couldn't come to church. They were incapacitated, they were sick. But here last year, it happened to every single one of us at exactly the same time. March 15th of 2020, we had to close, or we chose to close our doors, and we didn't meet for 11 weeks. And then when we reopened, it was really, really weird. You had to walk in one door and walk out the other door and you couldn't touch anything or hug anybody. ABFs weren't open. All of our ministries weren't going. And it was certainly a year in which there was sort of a great shakeup. Our priorities were tested. It gave us a glimpse into what life would be like not going to church. And we know some people got a glimpse of what life was like not going to church and they stopped going to church and they haven't come back. It was a strange, strange year in which we used the word unprecedented an unprecedented number of times to talk about that which is unprecedented. Any team that went through like the weirdest season they've ever gone through where they lost games for reasons they would never have expected they would lose games, or they even won games in weird ways that they never would have expected to win. Any team that went through a season like that, you would imagine the coach would pull them together and say, well, what can we learn and move forward with? And that's precisely what I want to do with this little series called The State of the Church as we open God's Word. Maybe it'll last two weeks, maybe three. But exactly what I want to do is examine how we made assumptions in 2020 that are possibly harmful to continue to hold in an unexamined manner. I want to open up with you to Romans chapter 12 and challenge you to not be conformed in your thinking, but to be transformed. If you open to Romans 12, I want to talk in a straightforward way about some of the assumptions and some of the ways that we thought about church last year that might not serve us well in the future. I'm going to read from Romans 12. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and I guarantee you what you hear me say for the next three minutes while I read this text will be the best thing that you hear me say in the next hour, for this is God's word. And in a world where the government says one thing, the CDC says another thing, every expert imagines what they might do, this ancient word is the most direct, the most relevant, and the most helpful word that we could receive in this hour. The apostle writes in the 12th chapter of his epistle to the Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if in service in our serving, if the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Oh, church, let love be genuine. And oh, church, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We understand from Romans 12, verse 2, that we, that if we do nothing and we float along, our minds will be conformed to the world. And we understand that as the people of Jesus Christ, we have a greater calling than that on our lives. We have a calling for our minds not to be in an unexamined way conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the word of God. And so specifically, I want to talk directly in this little series about the state of the church about a couple of ways that our mindset about church may have been conformed to the world. Just because everybody was saying something, we just took it on, on, on an assumption that that must be the thing to do because everyone's doing it. And instead, I want our minds to be transformed by the word of God. This morning, I want to address the issue of physical presence versus virtual presence. And then next week, Lord willing, I want to address the issue of physical safety. Have we adopted worldly attitudes about the relative importance of physical safety? But this morning, it's our assumptions about physical presence versus uh, actual presence, about the, the necessity of physical presence for real community as opposed to online community. And by the way, those two words don't really belong together. If it's online, it's not really a community. I want us to re-examine our assumptions in this area because we shouldn't be conformed to the world, but we should be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So the world really has gone virtual and you can get everything and do everything on your phone. This has been happening for decades, but certainly COVID-19 and the year 2020 like finalized that whole process. 
we really do communicate with each other more often in texts and emails and via social media and via Zoom meetings or whatever than we do face-to-face. We really do. And we really do think about communication and community. Uh, And we make unexamined assumptions about when we use technology to connect. And I want to examine those assumptions. Everything can happen on your phone. Amy and I are not the only couple that in our basement orders something on our phone and then we haven't left the basement. We're still watching the bucks or whatever and we get a picture on our phone of our porch with what we ordered right there on our porch. How creepy is that? Is that convenient? Yeah. Is that good? I suppose. This is the question from Romans 12 too. Is that an unmitigated good? And the answer is no. Are there ways that that kind of interaction forms us to, be, to live in a way that is antithetical to the way God expects us to live? You see, we should examine our use of technology and our acceptance of things like virtual church and online community. I'm certainly not saying that we reject technology. Amy and I will probably still order stuff online. But I am saying that according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, we should make intentional decisions about how we do or don't use technology, whether it's beneficial to us or not. Ask the kinds of questions that Romans 12, 9 asks. Does my use of technology help my love to be more genuine? Romans 12, 9. Does my use of technology help me to abhor and hate what is evil? Does it help me to hold fast to what is good? Does it help me to love others with genuine brotherly affection? Or does it make me, verse 11, slothful in zeal? So many good questions that we ought to be asking, and we ought to take the time to reflect about this. As Christians, we don't just grab things unthinkingly. As Christians, we believe God created us. And so whatever technology we're grabbing, we should stop and ask the question, does this help me to live the way that God created and designed me to live? Or does this cut contrary to that? Does my use of technology accord with the way God created me and the way God intends me to live? So I want to examine some unexamined assumptions, and I will say this, and I'm, I'm not just being cheeky or um, puffing you up. The first assumption, I really, I really don't believe that any of you are making this assumption. I really believe that we together have, have not made this assumption. The first assumption is virtual church is church. I really don't think any of you have made that assumption. Or if you have made that assumption, you've made it basically against how everybody's heart in the covenant membership of this church beats. Assembling together is church. Listening to a sermon on a podcast or a live stream, there there could certainly be helpful benefits in your life from re-listening to a sermon on a podcast. But listening to a sermon on a podcast or a live stream is not church as if we needed scripture to prove that, we could find proof texts. I suppose in Matthew 18, where Jesus says where two or three are gathered together physically, 
In 1 Corinthians 11, which text will open when we come to the Lord's table, he says six or eight times in there, when you gather as an assembly, when you assemble as a body, that, that it's the gathering together that makes it this way. Hebrews 10, where he says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. That's, this, this should be obvious from the way that God created us, right? The Lord God formed the man and the woman out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed the ruach, the spirit, into them. So we have material bodies, which are the very reality and presence of our immaterial spirit that is within us. And it is, I love you with that spirit that is within me when my body shows that and, 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 and manifests that. This is the way God created us. So if you want an outline, it's pretty simple. The first point is two words, be here. Be here for in-person church. Again, in-person shouldn't have to be added to the word church. That's what, it, that's what the actual church is. Beyond the proof text, it is uh, contrary to the way God created us to say that we could possibly do this without embodied presence. I suppose we all have phrases and things that happened last year that annoyed us. I have heard from many of you about things I did last year that annoyed you, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm sure we all have things that annoyed us last year. One of the phrases that bothered me to no end, like it made my back teeth hurt, was the phrase, unnecessary social contact. Or the phrase, unnecessary personal interaction. I find that phrase offensive because being a human being on this planet created by God and then recreated in Jesus Christ to make and train disciples means that my life is social interaction for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor. That's what it is. We live because Jesus has loved us by saving us and bringing, into his very, bringing us into his very body. And then we make and train disciples for Jesus by interacting socially and personally with the persons that are in our lives. We have to have this. Romans chapter 12, we're commanded in verse 13 to be hospitable to one another. We're commanded in verse 12 to show brotherly affection to one another. That's what being a human being created by God on this planet, it, that's what it is. That's what it is. And so you know that. It's not, I'm not stretching your, I'm not stretching your abilities to say, be here, because virtual church isn't church. You gotta be here. You know, one, one way to look at it is how the, how the New Testament refers to family. I talked a little bit about family last week in the July 4th message about how our government doesn't even understand the nature of marriage. But this point's different than that. God, who really is pro-family and really understands what a family is, think about this. It's marvelous if you think about it. The word family is used in the New Testament less often about your biological family and more often about your forever family, which is the family of the church. That's how God identifies what your forever family really is. The New Testament is so filled with examples and commands of us being a family where we belong to each other and we're with each other. The idea of doing church away from the rest of the people who make up the church 
is an impossible idea in the New Testament. Did you get that? The idea of doing church away from church, when church is the people of the church who have been redeemed by Jesus, is an impossible idea in the New Testament. Why is that? Is that because Steve Jobs wasn't born yet during the New Testament era? No, that's not the answer. The answer is because, you know, we, we have many examples in scripture of technology in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God's people use technology in ways that correspond to our creation and then to God's commandments to us. But we have to be together for the assembly of the church. It doesn't make any sense biblically. It doesn't make any sense theologically. It doesn't make any sense practically. This is summer. Let's say your little family of five, you're going to have a family vacation. And so one member of your little family of five says, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to spend family vacation with my phone and the cat in my bedroom. Well, that, <laughs> they may want to do that. If I was in your family, I may have wanted to do that. But that's not, that's not what it is. You can call that something else, but you can't call that family vacation. You can't call that family time. The church is the assembly of the persons who make up the church. That's what it is. In this last year in 2020, certainly our elders, our elder board and our shepherds and our ABF leaders cared for members of this church whose lives were damaged because of their absence from this place. But you know what? What touched my heart even more was the four or five or seven or eight times where I was able to, or I, I was able to minister to someone who was here. They weren't absent. But that someone to whom I was ministering, they had deep discouragement in their life because this person and that person and that person whom they love hadn't come back yet. And I was touched by that. And my counsel to them wasn't, don't be discouraged by that. My counsel to them was, if that's your family, just like this text says, you should weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and show zeal in following up with one another. That's a, that's a good thing. Not that you go judge them for not being here, but that you tell them, I love you, I miss you, let's get back together. Don't ever underestimate the... the power of your presence with the people of God. I'm sure, I'm sure that it's the case that there are maybe two or three or four people here with whom you feel like you can really be real and they're close friends. But I also hope that there's another 20 or 30 or 45 people here that you might be able to get their name right or you might not, but you certainly know each other by face and there is an encouragement to see them here and for them to see you here. Don't ever underestimate the importance and the power of your simple presence in the assembly of the saints. That's simple, isn't it? That's point one, be here, be here. Point two is also simple, it's this. Be here, and then I'll add two words to it. Be here to serve, be here to serve. For here, let's look again at Romans 12, beginning in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Watch this, second half of verse 5. And individually, members one of another. Oh, church, it doesn't just say that you're a member of Christ. It says that you are members of one another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, acts of mercy, contributions, all the rest. Be here to serve. The assumption, I think, that needs to be corrected, to say it directly, the assumption that needs to be corrected that we adopted during 2020 was this. Church became something that we absorb as an audience. Church became a sermonic content that was delivered to us via a screen. Church became melodic praises that we could play on our speakers. But the church is a body to which you belong viscerally and organically. It's a family in which you have a place and a service and a love. Church is not a product that we absorb. It's a a family to which we belong, where we help one another, where we contribute to one another, where we care for one another. Let's be honest with uh, all due respect to Lionel Richie. There really is nothing easier than a Sunday morning when you get to stay home. <laughs> to just uh, keep your comfortable slippers on and just be comfortable and lazy. That really is an easy Sunday morning. The only problem with that is that that's an awful and destructive pattern which moves you away from what God says is best for your soul and best for the souls of everyone you love. We are a body where we each use, use our gifts to care for one another. That's what it says here. I, had, uh, I taught the church membership class yesterday. We had, I think, 29 people in the membership class. If you missed that membership class, Lord willing, I will do another one in September. But we met here from 8.30 to noon, and we went through the doctrine and direction of the church. And one of the things that we went through with them was that church is, church is a family to which you belong. It's a place where you participate. And this is, you know, what, what this text says is that your gifts, your gifts are, are how you care for the body of Christ they're, they're, a, they're a wonderful expression of God's grace through you. He says, use your gifts as the grace of God is delivered through you. It's almost as if, it's almost as if the grace of God is so uniquely present in Linda with her spiritual gifts that we can't get that unique little spiral of the grace of God unless Linda is here with us. You see, that's the concept of spiritual gifts that we find here in Romans 12. Each one of us needs to be here with the gifts that we have with us so that the body can be built up. The mission of the church to make and train disciples, you know, the, a definitive book, our elder board has probably gone through a lot of books over the years and not many of them, I would say, are definitive. A book that has been definitive for our elder board is this book about church ministry and the title is The Trellis and the Vine. And on like the third or fourth page of that book, this is what the authors say. The real work of God is people work. The prayerful speaking of his word by one person to another. Therefore, the jobs in church are never all taken and the opportunities for Christians to minister personally to one another are limitless. 
The real work of God is people work. The real work of making and training disciples is praying with one another, opening the word of God and encouraging one another, asking one another, provoking in one another spiritual conversations, because that's the case. The jobs are never all taken, and there is an innumerable amount of service work for every single person who walks through the door to do. And this is great. I love it. Last Sunday, uh, the temperature's better in here than it was last Sunday. I was hot last Sunday. And I finished the second service, and I'm just covered in sweat, and I'm talking to people, and finally, I walk out to my car, and I turn on the air, and I get in my car, and I'm going to leave. And these three young guys, single guys, they, they hadn't even been in this church that long. One of them, I knew his name. Two of them, I didn't know their name. I, I learned their name last Sunday and I've forgotten it since then. All apologies. But <laughs> they stopped my car and they wanted to talk. So I didn't just roll down the window. I got out of my car. And these three guys out there in the parking lot, they say, hey, pastor, before you go home, is there a way that we could pray for you? And I, I didn't want to go home. <laughs> and I said, I shared with them a family situation that's needful in my life. And I shared with them actually a ministry challenge that's bigger, that's bigger than I can handle. And these young guys put their hand on my shoulder and they prayed for me. And I'm telling you, I drove home so encouraged. How simple is that? They didn't have to take an 18-week class. They didn't have to become an elder. The ministry, the real work of God is people work. The prayerful speaking of his word by one person to another. Therefore, the jobs are never all taken. And the opportunities for service are limitless. This is, this is why in the church, you come here to serve. It's, you're not a spectator. You're not a consumer. You're a servant and a contributor. Every single one of you can share scripture with others. Every single one of you can offer to pray for another person. Your spiritual gift is here for the, for the good and the well-being of the body. Sometimes there's an area of service that exactly accords with your spiritual gift and you just get a hundred out of a hundred. Sometimes there's a need and it doesn't fit your spiritual gift, but that's the way families work. We all pitch in, even if it ain't our favorite thing to do. And there are plenty of opportunities like that too. Like I told you a couple of weeks ago that because of COVID, that we lost a lot of key workers in our crosswalk ministry for our precious kids. There are many opportunities to serve in there now. There's a Thursday work crew that gathers here, I think every Thursday, and they, they just take care of our facility. If you have skills in the trades, you get here on a Thursday. There's so many ways to serve. But more than anything, the work of God is people work, the prayerful communication of the word of God from one person to another. The jobs are never all taken. So if the second point is be here to serve, the third point is equally simple. It's be here with another two words added to it. The third point is simply this, be here to worship. Be here to worship. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here's an assumption that the world makes that the church better not make. This world replaces worship with 
spirituality. This world replaces transformation and submission to the truth of the gospel with you do you and you just find whatever religious teaching meshes with you and makes you feel good. But the life of the Christian faith is a life of submission to the gospel that we deliver as of first importance that we are sinners and that Christ died to save sinners. The life of faith is the life of belonging to the faith. I don't pick and choose what I want to believe out of here. I, I, I'm transformed and I conform to everything this book says. This is what it means to be a part of the church. We submit to sound doctrine, gladly so. We don't pick which doctrines we like, we take it all. And also, and this is encouraging, to be a, to be a member of the church means that we don't get to pick who else we want and don't want in the church. We don't pick which doctrine we want us want, and we also don't pick, this is what makes the church so otherworldly. The church is not a place where we can curate our friendships based on who we like to be around and who has the same biases and preferences that we do. The church should be an assembly that is absolutely inexplicable. I didn't, I didn't choose you to join this church. And you didn't choose me. But Jesus Christ died to make us one with him and to make us one with each other. So if I'm talking to you and I'm like, I would never choose to be friends with a person like you. Don't be offended. Or if you're talking to me like, I, I don't see how I could ever be friends with a person like you. That's fine. Jesus called it good. It's not based on our human personality. So it is the case I'm not saying that it is the case perfectly, but it should be the case that if someone from that world walks into here, they should say, I cannot explain their unity based on their political preferences. I cannot explain their unity based on their economic circumstances. The only explanation for our unity is that somebody lived and died and rose again to bring us into his family by grace through faith. Be here. Be here to serve and be here to worship. Worship is loving the Lord, delighting in the Lord. When your individual delight in the Lord is dry and dusty and lacking love, oh, you need to be here. Because if you're here on a Sunday and the Spirit of God is operative, you will get 12, 13, 14, 16 nudges toward more affection for Jesus and toward moving away from conformity to the world. Now let me throw you a little bit of a curveball. And the reason it's a curveball is because you've heard me say from this pulpit before, now I'm preaching this sermon, don't you be thinking about how it applies to somebody else. You apply it to yourself. I want to take that off the table today. Limited time only. <laughs> take that off the table. Because there are members, well, biblically, he Hebrews 10, verse 25, which says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. You know what the very next phrase is in, the, in that verse? It says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, but encourage one another not to. 
So apparently God there says that this is the kind of sermon that if you find someone who's drifting, you need to encourage them with this kind of sermon. Not in a judgmental way, but in a helpful way. I think the reason why the Spirit of God says it like that is because this is the case. And you got to agree with me that this is the case. Every single one of us, senior pastor included, can have a habit of laziness whereby after a week or a month, what is unacceptable becomes acceptable to me because that's the way I'm living. That's the way I'm lazing down this lazy river of life in an inner tube. That's just the way it is. And because what is unacceptable can become acceptable to every one of us, we need other people who aren't us who can come alongside us and say, hey, I don't think that's best for you. Hey, I don't think you should think that that's acceptable. Again, not in a judgmental and an angry way, Galatians 6, confronting the spirit of gentleness for their good. But I'm welcoming you to utilize this sermon, not only in your own life, but also in the lives of others to encourage them to be here to worship, to encourage them to be here to serve. Hey, if you think, yeah, I got to find a way to serve. I got to volunteer in the office or in children's ministry or whatever. Do this. Don't do it alone. Find someone you know who also isn't serving and say, hey, let's do this together. Bring them along. Bring them along. Be here to worship. And I ought to, I, I ought to say as clearly as I can, because it's okay to be upset and angry about what I say if you really did hear what I said. <laughs> Don't be upset and angry about what I didn't say. This is not a sermon in which I am telling you, you can't ever miss church and go to the lake cabin. This, I'm not saying that. You can't ever cover a shift at work for somebody and miss you can't ever, if, if somebody in your family has a sports tournament, you can't ever attend that on a Sunday. But what I am saying is that Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, say that your habits will become conformed to the world and away from God's holiness unless you specifically and explicitly challenge your own habits by the transformed thinking that the word of God will bring to you. Examine your habits. Examine your habits with every single phrase of Romans 12, verses one and two. I'm not saying that you can never miss, that you can never miss. There may be a time when you go to the lake cabin on a Sunday. There may be a time when you cover a shift on a Sunday. There may be a time when there's a, a sports thing on a Sunday. But what I am saying, hear what I am saying, and get this, church, get this. It, it, it is your habit of worshiping Jesus with the saints that makes going to the lake cabin what it ought to be. And it is your habit of worshiping with the saints that makes covering a shift on a Sunday what it ought to be. And it is your habit of week after week assembling together with the saints that makes sense of possibly participating in a sporting event. If you don't have the habit of being here, then all you have is a worldly life where unconnected events are just kind of shuffled like a deck of cards. And that is not how Christians live. 
Christians live because of Christ and in Christ. And it is the weekly, consistent gathering to proclaim the resurrection of Christ that brings meaning to all of the other events in life. It's an old charge. It's more of a canard than anything else. You hear it all the time, don't you? People live like hypocrites six days a week, and then one day, out of seven, they floss their teeth and put on their cologne and, and get dressed up and go to church. And I, the longer I'm at this, the more I think that that is an exact diabolical reversal of the way this cosmos actually operates. I'm beginning to believe with all of my heart that the world out there, six days a week, is utter and inane hypocrisy. Because six days a week, everybody that you see and everybody that you know says this, man can live by bread alone. And beloved, one day out of seven one day out of seven, you get to walk through those doors and you get to have true bread and true wine and true life. Be here to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ for man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God received and confessed in covenant with all those who in like manner belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be here. Be here to serve, and more than anything else, be here to worship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we cannot live by bread alone, but only can we have life in you. And so, Lord Jesus, would you feed us with true bread now in this moment of worship? And would you feed our souls with true wine now in this moment of worship? That your word is proclaimed, that your saints are gathered, and that the proclamation of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ would be remembered in this assembly until you return for us. Jesus, be magnified in this place, in this moment. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.